begin reading in verse number 12, where here the Bible says, Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Father God, we pray that today you administer this, your word, to every heart. Lord, I pray that we would, Lord, be pliable in the Master's hands, conformed to your explicit will for our lives. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me to preach your word in your way to these your people, that your will May be, pray, may be done, and Lord, may you receive the glory and the praise for it. For this we ask in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Many of you are aware that the book of Acts is the historical book in the New Testament. It is a documentary, if you will, written by Luke, who was a physician, of the spread of the gospel throughout all the earth during the first century by those first century believers. Of course, led by those who were called the pillars of the church, the, the apostles of the Lord. And of course, the biggest part of this history is represented in that which the apostle Paul was used of the Lord to accomplish, and that was to literally carry the gospel to the ends of the earth for the Gentiles, and although he carried the gospel of the Jew first, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, and the Lord made him aware of that from the very moment of his conversion on the road to Damascus. And so as we come to this moment in the documenting of the history of the church, we come to a time in the ministry of Paul where he is standing in a palace before some of the most important people in that part of the world at that moment in time. In fact, he is standing before Herod, the, the man who tried to kill the baby Jesus, who was responsible for the slaughter of the innocents. 
He was standing before Herod's great-grandson, King Agrippa, who was the king of Judea, and before Felix, who was the governor of Caesarea, and before Princess Bernice, who was the sister of King Agrippa. And they were assembled together in a great meeting hall with much pomp and circumstance. The, the Bible reveals to us that they had gathered together. And so Paul is standing before them and he is beginning to share the gospel with them. And he shares much about the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now understand as he stands here speaking to these important individuals that he had been taken into custody by the rulers of the Jews in Jerusalem. After giving a defense to them, he appealed to the Caesar, having a dual citizenship, and they knew that they were under a Roman procurator and that they were bound to take him to the next in line as far as leadership to Rome was concerned. And so they delivered him to Felix in, in Caesarea. The king over Judea was Agrippa at that time. And what we discover is in the document, uh, documentary of all of these events, we discover that Felix held Paul in custody for two years in Caesarea before he had a hearing before King Agrippa. It wasn't necessary for him to have done that. He could have just, once having received Paul, deputized soldiers to carry him back to Rome to make his case before Caesar. But he nonetheless held him. I can't imagine how Paul must have felt. I, I know that during the course and span of of the Apostle Paul's 33 and a half years of ministry from the Damascus Road all the way to his execution in Rome. Uh, he was imprisoned for nearly six and a half of those 33 and a half years. And as much as he was trying to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth as the Apostle of the Gentiles, it must have been a frustration to have had his journeys interrupted with these long seasons of incarceration. That must have been the case at this time as well, I can imagine. But now as he stands before these men, he begins to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not so much a defense of his case or defending himself before those that were sitting in the seat of judgment before him because of the fact that he had appealed to Caesar, which was the highest in terms of important individuals that he could possibly go on earth at that time. And so Felix and Agrippa would, under threat of death, nev never have preempted or subverted the authority of Caesar to try to cast judgment upon the one who appealed to Caesar for his judgment. And so here we find these men are gathered together not to sit in the seat of judgment, but to give Paul hearing. And as they give him this hearing, Paul has known Felix and testified to him many times. And now for the first time to Bernice and to Agrippa. And his gaze is focused upon King Agrippa. And he is not wanting to make a good showing for himself. 
He's not wanting to engage in a self-defense for his actions. His sole purpose is to try to lead these men and this lady to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we begin this, we, we discover that he shares here what we find recorded a few times in the book of Acts, and that is the conversion of Saul. For you see, the apostle Paul was at first Saul of Tarsus. It was as he was on his way to Damascus to put Christians in jail and to put them to death for following the Nazarene named Jesus, that he was himself confronted of the Lord. So we notice here the conversion of Saul. And there's something that I want to just point out from this to you. And that is that Saul, no doubt, was stricken by the death of the first uh, martyr named Stephen, who was a deacon of the church in Jerusalem. Paul was consenting to his death. He gave the death order for Stephen, the very first martyr, to be put to death, stoned to death. No doubt he was taken up by just the glory that radiated on the countenance of Stephen as as he cried out, in words that Jesus would have spoken from the cross as he died. And it, as they looked upon him, the Bible tells us here in chapter 7 of Acts that they looked upon him, on him and it was as if they looked upon the face of an angel. The glory of God was upon him. That must have had a difference. But you know what? Paul didn't say, you know what? I, that man has something that I need. So he didn't go back to Jerusalem and fall down before the apostles and say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He put many people in prison. He put many people to death. No doubt he saw their devotion and their sincerity. And no doubt he heard their stories. But he never fell down before them and said, What must I do to be saved? Folks, let me say this to you. There are many who have had the idea through the years that what they need to do is live out the Christian life. And when they live such a sterling example of the Christian life, there will be those around them that come to them and say, What is it that you have because I would like to have that? Now, that would be wonderful if all of us would have experiences like Paul and Silas had with the Philippian jailer where he fell down on his knees and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? But, you know, in the last 40, nearly 40 years of ministry, formal ministry for me, I'm going to tell you that has happened a few times, but not many. A few times, but not many. I'm going to tell you. What is required in most cases is what was required in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Paul looked at those Jews that were converted to Christ, their devotion, and you know what he thought? (laughs) I'm just as devoted to, to my Hebrew culture, tradition, and belief system as they are to theirs. And he was hard hearted. And so you know what God did? God allowed the Shekinah to put him on his face on the way to Damascus and all those that were with him and to put him in a place of humility before God. You see, God knew what was required for a man like that was a confrontation. Not just a passive example of of kindness and Christianity that would attract him, but something epic that would put him on his face before God. The Lord confronted him with the truth and cried out and said, Saul, Saul! 
Why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And in every case, he acknowledged in that moment that Jesus was indeed that one who had lived and died and was buried and was now alive. Thus he met the requirement of apostleship, for he had been face to face with the risen living Lord. There were signs of the apostles that followed after him that proved his apostleship, though some in Corinth questioned the veracity of that claim. But let me say this to you. In that moment, he knew that he was dealing with a living Lord. And so he didn't try to defend himself and say, well, I'm just doing what I thought was right or I'm being real sincere about my faith. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He surrendered that day to the Lord God and made Him His Savior. Three days later, of course, we know that He was baptized and the scales fell off of His eyes and God gave Him a work to do. Paul submitted himself to the Lord that day and there was a radical transformation in his life that led him out of the darkness and into the glorious light. Some of you are like me and you uh, watch some of the coverage of the Republican National Convention and uh, I was taken up on one of the evenings where a woman who uh, was elevated to the position of a director among the, uh, the Planned Parenthood organization given over to uh, providing abortions and uh, responsible for the death of multiplied millions of babies over the years since Roe v. Wade. She told this story, as many of you heard, about how that she was called upon to attend the abortion of, of a little baby boy in the third trimester of development. And how that those instruments of death were trying to suck that child out of the mother's womb. And how that even through the ultrasound, she could see a fully developed baby trying to escape the instruments that were coming to take its life. And, and how that it was, try, it was trying to get away from the instruments that were being inserted into the mother's womb to suck him in and to, and to take that baby's life. And, and, and how glib and, and how careless and, and how uh, disconnected the physician was to that child's life. And what she, what she said there was it was a moment that changed her life forever at that point. From that moment forward, she took a step backward and she became an ambassador for life, not death. And she wanted to be involved in helping to save life, not take life. That was a transformative moment in her life. It changed her for the duration of her life. And the transformation of the Apostle Paul was no less dynamic and great for he was given over to death but now became a preacher of life and that life everlasting. What a transformation occurred at the conversion of Saul. But we notice what came along with that conversion was, secondly, the call to serve. For the Bible says in verse 16, Rise and stand on thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness. So, the Lord at that moment called him to serve. I submit to you this morning that the Lord God has called each and every one who has 
trusted Him as Savior to serve Him. You know, I think about what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 1 that says, uh, as we have received mercy, as we have uh, uh, received mercy, we have received this ministry, we faint not. As we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. What he was saying is, at the moment we received the mercy of God, we received a call to serve Him. At that moment, we received a call to serve Him. And I, I've shared with folks that uh, back in the 70s, our, our family served in South Korea as missionaries. And in Korea, even till today, uh, young men and women, when they reach the age of 18, are compelled to serve two years at a minimum in the armed services of their country. Just by virtue of the fact that they were born as citizens of the Republic of South Korea, they are compelled to serve a minimum of two years in the military. Such that when young people meet together, a standard greeting that they give is, Good day, Hesamnika. Have you served your military service? Have you, have you already done your military service is a standard greeting. And just by virtue of the fact that they were born as citizens of that country, they were called to serve their country in the military. And by virtue of the fact that we have been born again by faith as citizens of heaven, we have been called to serve our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we understand is that this call that was laid upon Paul was to serve as the witness of Jesus, a call to turn those in chains of darkness to the light of Jesus Christ. It was to turn sinners from the power of Satan under the power of God and to give them forgiveness that they may receive forgiveness and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in Jesus Christ. He was called to serve. My friends, you're called to serve. There are many that are that are called and yet, you know what? They limit the level and degree of their service. They, they, they want to serve the saints. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are people that need to do that to help in the development of, of the faith of others. But, you know, we cannot forget that first God called him to be a witness, to carry the gospel to those that were held in darkness. And God has thus called each and every believer in Jesus Christ and it does not need to be more complicated than Matthew chapter, or rather Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are called to be every creature reachers. That's our responsibility. And each and every one of us has a circle of influence that contains people that only we, perhaps, may ever have the opportunity to reach. And we have a duty to reach out and to share the gospel. There's the call to serve, but we notice that there must be a response to that call. And so what follows that is the conformity to the Savior. Because what we find, the Apostle Paul said in verse 19 was this, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So in other words, he had a choice to make. 
God said, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to serve me. And so he had a choice to make. Let me say this to you, friends. That God is an absolute gentleman. He will never force His will on anyone. He always gives us a choice. God's not willing that any should perish, but that but that all should come to repentance. So we know that salvation is available to everyone, whosoever will receive it, but not everyone is saved. They have to make that choice. Paul chose to conform his will to God's will for his life. And so, any of you that have had children, you know that it's not for cowards or sissies, is it? Uh, it's... Uh, it's sometimes a very difficult undertaking. And uh, I have six children, six grandchildren. I don't know how many uh, grandchildren I may have in the coming days. Uh, Sarah's a newlywed, and, and Becky and Daniel are getting married in, uh, in November. We're excited about that, so who knows? Uh, but, uh, but listen, do we have one more on the way? We have another one on. We have number seven in, in the oven now. Jonathan's wife, Leo, is going to have another baby. Is that right? I'm telling it right. Am I? Yes? No. Anyhow. But let me tell you something. Sometimes we have to deal with our children and discipline them. Right? Why? Because they rebel against mom and dad. And really, in so doing, they're rebelling against God. Because God placed those parents in the life of those kids for a purpose. And so, when I deal with those children, sometimes... It's a little stern. But what am I doing? Am I trying to destroy their spirit? No, I'm trying to get them to bring their will into conformity with God's will. To make the choice, not because mom and dad are watching and forcing it upon them, but of their own volition to make the choice to love and honor God to keep company with those that have made the choice to love and honor God, to literally be conformed to Jesus, to surrender their will. After all, isn't that what the Bible teaches us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 13 when it says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You see, God has a will for our lives. Now folks, I may not know some of you, but let me say to you that I know God's will for your life. You say, are you Pastor Domus? <laughs> no, I'm not even related to Nostradamus. All right? the, the fact of the matter is I'm not a clairvoyant, but I do read the Bible. And in so doing, I have discovered the will of God for every person. Here's what it is. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number uh, uh, one, I believe it is, it says, who will have all men to be saved. What's God's will? Who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 19, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God's will is for everyone, whosoever will, to be saved. And so, when a person comes to trust Christ as their Savior, what takes place is 
they bring their will into conformity with God's will. So listen, when I bring my will into conformity with God's will, and I say yes to Jesus, then I am saved. And that's exactly what Paul did. He did that in the matter of salvation, but he also knew that God had an ongoing will for his life. He didn't just save him and say, okay, see you in a couple thousand years, you know, do the best you can. No, he said, look, I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. Now, folks, contrary to what some people that drive up and down the highways of of I-17 might think, your purpose is not discovered at GCU. Okay, it can be found in the B-I-B-L-E, amen? And uh, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for institutions that might talk to you about what God's purpose is for your life. And uh, it might be in a locality that you finally uh, discover what it is. But the reality is that it's going to be discovered because God will reveal it to you, not because an academic institution showed you. We see the conformity to the Savior And his preaching was centered in the message of God as told by the law and the prophets and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And God is calling us to be conformed to that will for our lives, each one of us. Now let me say to you that um, God's will for your life is that you serve Him. That you be His witness. How many of you are aware of that? Go ahead and raise your hand because I realize it's hard to say amen with a mask on and have it be heard. So you know that. Now, As I'm telling you that, there are some people right now that just have a nervous feeling in the pit of their stomach. They think, you know, I can't believe it. I'm, you know, I, I don't know what I would say. I just, you know, I'm so nervous. Maybe somebody to ask me something and I wouldn't have the answer. Folks, listen, I don't go out and tell people about Jesus because I think I have every answer to every question that will ever be asked. I, I go because God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say, go in the world and go into all the world and become the source of answers for everybody that asks anything from you. No, it doesn't say that. Look, I, I realize that sometimes people ask dumb things. Now, you know what? Sometimes I'll be trying to deal with someone about salvation, and they'll ask me silly things. Have you ever had that happen, Pastor? That I think it's the devil just goading them to get us off the track a little bit so they don't get saved. Have you ever had that happen to you? Tell them something about it. And, and they just ask you a random question. You know, I learned one time from a personal soul winner how to deal with some of that. People will come at you and say, um, who was Cain's wife? You ever had that one? Sometimes they'll come at you at the strangest time. And uh, who was Cain's wife? You know, and uh, normally uh, what I just tell them is, oh, her name was Sheila. And they're like, Okay. <laughs> You say, do you know that her name was Sheila? No, but you don't know that it wasn't. Might have been. <laughs> and normally, you know, you tell, <laughs> and then I laugh and I say, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us. It was his sister, but we don't know what her name was. But, uh, you, you know, that was in a different dispensation of time and different economy that God was dealing with at that moment. But let me tell you something. Here's what. God really wants you to know. Get back to the question, right? Some people are afraid. And uh, that leads us to this. I want you to notice not only the conversion of Saul and the call to serve and the conformity to the Savior, but the courage to stand. 
The Apostle Paul was not afraid to stand before kings, for God had separated him for this purpose and told him that, that he would testify before kings. The Bible says that in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 15. And Paul was bold in his witness, knowing that he was doing the will of God. Folks, you can be bold in your witness, not because you profess to be a theologian and have all the answers. But let me tell you something, all right? God has given you something that the Apostle Paul had. And it's unique to you. It was unique to him. You know what it is? It's a testimony. You have a testimony that's unique to you. And you can be honest with people. Look, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible. I'm still learning. But let me tell you what Jesus did for me. I picked on Jeff and Lori, and, and they're an easy mark because they're sitting on the front row today. And, 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 and you know, listen, you know, they don't have to have all the answers, but you know what they could do? They could go to, to a relative, a loved one, and say, listen, we were a young family with, with, with twin girls and challenged at knowing how to raise them and nurture and admonition of the Lord. We didn't know what we were doing. And, and, and there was a little church up the street built out of slump block and and we, and we just lived a block and a half from the church, and we, we made our way down to this church called Freeway Baptist Church, and we came inside, and, and we heard a preacher named Lyle Echoberry preaching, and we filled out a card, put in the offering plate. Not long later, Pastor Echoberry came to our home. I think it was on Echo Lane, wasn't it? Lived on Echo Lane right over here. Pastor Echoberry began to talk to us in our front room, and he opened the Word of God and began to tell us how that we could be saved. God began to work in our hearts and right there in our front room with Pastor Uckleberry giving us the gospel, we, we bowed our heads and we prayed to receive Jesus as our Savior. We've been serving Him ever since and our life has never been the same again. Now we have our daughters that are saved and their husbands that are saved and our grandchildren are coming to church and and some of them are saved, and some of them are still too young to understand it, but we're believing the Lord that they're going to get saved, and it's the greatest decision that we've ever made. We'll never regret it. You know what? That's their testimony. You have a testimony, don't you? Sometimes we think, well, you know, my testimony isn't all that glamorous. It's not a crime to Christ type of a testimony. You know, mine wasn't really glamorous at all. I was only eight years old when I got saved. I hadn't even killed anybody yet. I hadn't, I, I, listen, I, I hadn't even been incarcerated at that point in time. Listen, I didn't have a criminal record. I, I, you know, I, there wasn't anything so dramatic about my conversion, but I'm going to tell you it was dramatic for me back in 1971. I went to church and heard an evangelist named Denny Winnegar preach on the rapture. And I got to thinking about it, and I thought, you know, if Jesus comes tonight, my mom and dad are going to go to heaven, and I'm going to be left behind. And man, when you're eight, there's nothing more terrorizing than that. You know, I just thought, that that's going to be it for me. You know, and, and, and I heard tonight that if my parents go and I'm left behind, that you know, I'm going to have to get beheaded to have any chance at all to make it. And uh, so we're driving home from church in the car, and my dad took the evangelist out to eat. My, I said to my mom, I said, Mama, I'm afraid that if Jesus came tonight, that you and Daddy go to heaven, and I'd be left behind. 
And I'm scared. And she said, sweetie, when we get home, I want to talk to you about how you can know that you'll go to heaven with us. And so she took me in her room on Denton Way in San Jose, California. And I remember uh, that lime green house with, uh, with uh, white shutters. And, and uh, uh, there, uh, listen, uh, rose bushes by the front door. We walked in. And she took me down the hallway and to the right in the master bedroom. There was hardwood floors there. And she had a, a satin quilted red bedspread. And she turned the light on the nightstand right, right next to her side of the bed. A white uh, shade on, on a porcelain and rose colored uh, lampstand. She took out a red Schofield Bible with her name printed on it. She sat me on that little red bedspread next to her and she began to open the verses and she would have me read those verses and she'd explain it to me and little tears started coming down my cheeks and in a little while I got on my knees next to my mama on that hardwood floor and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me of all of my sins and to save me that day in 1971. And you know, I'd like to say from that time to this time, I've never done anything wrong and that my life has been transcending every moment that I'm some super Christian, but I can't say that. Made a lot of bad choices. I can't say that I never had any doubts. There were times that I did. But I can tell you that Jesus saved me that day. And I can tell you as sure as I'm standing here now that when Jesus comes, I'm going with him. And I'm going to tell you, that may not seem exciting to anybody else, but listen, he changed my forever that day. And I'm telling you, you have a witness and a testimony, and you can stand before kings and tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's what Paul did. He just told them what Jesus had done for him. He gave his testimony, and he was courageous to do so, and God calls us to be courageous. I think about the early church in Jerusalem during the first persecution of the church. They were gathered together in prayer and they prayed not for the Lord to deliver them from persecution, but that God would give them boldness to preach the Word of God. And my friends, God will indeed answer that prayer and cry of your heart and give you, as He did Paul, the courage to stand and if need be to do so before kings, to cast light in places of spiritual darkness and places of spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we come to our last consideration this morning, and that is the complete satisfaction, not only the conversion of Saul and the call to serve, the conformity to the Savior, the courage to stand, but the complete satisfaction. You say, what do you mean? I mean this. That the Bible reveals to us that Paul said in verse 23 that Christ should suffer and that He should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And look, the thing that angered Felix for two years was that Paul is trying to convince him of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Today, naysayers and people that fancy themselves to be educated and intellectual want to try to poke holes in the gospel by trying to deny the resurrection. But folks, if you deny the resurrection, there is no salvation. There is no gospel. I said, you could, you could no sooner have a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without the P, the B, and the J. You understand? And you can't have the gospel without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Apart from that, there's just absolutely no hope of heaven and so he's giving them the gospel and when he talked of Jesus being the first to rise from the dead the Bible says as he thus spake to himself Festus said with a loud voice Paul thou art beside thyself much learning doth make thee mad but he said I'm not mad most noble Festus but speak forth the words of truth and soberness for the king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I think these are among the saddest words in all of the Bible. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The reason why I have asked you to consider the complete satisfaction is this, that each and every person must come to the place that we are fully satisfied that what Jesus did for us provides the only hope that we have. We can't be partially persuaded. We must be fully persuaded that what Jesus did for us at Calvary and through the empty tomb is the only hope that any of us has. We cannot be partially convinced of that truth. I'm going to tell you that when our family served in the land of Korea many years ago, that we served among many that were Buddhist, others that were Confucius, and many who were polytheists, many animists that worshipped many different gods. They would worship the god of the river or the sky or the moon or the stars. And they would worship the, uh, the spirits of their dead ancestors. And a national holiday surrounded the worship of ancestors. And so there were those that were what we call polytheists. They worshipped many gods. And and so they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would come to our services and sometimes they would come forward and they would say, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. I will accept Jesus uh, as my Savior. And as we begin to deal with them, we would understand that what they were saying was this, I will accept Jesus also. So I have all of these gods. So Maybe Jesus will make up for any of the deficiencies in my other deities. My friends, we don't accept Jesus also. We must accept Jesus only and be fully persuaded that He alone represents the only hope of heaven that we have. And we must be fully persuaded that what He has done for us and not what we might do for Him is what will get us all the way to heaven. You see, I have to be fully persuaded. You have to be fully satisfied that what Jesus did for you is 
the only hope, not a great chance, no, the only hope that you have, not partially. You know, there's no such thing as almost saved. There's no, no such thing as sort of dead, kind of pregnant, right? I mean, these are sort of absolute things. You cannot be sort of saved. But here what we find is that King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. When I was in high school, I played on a basketball team that was very accomplished. We, we won the Far East Basketball Championships two years in a row. They won it the third year, but I, I came home from the mission field and I didn't get to compete with them. I would have been a starting guard on that team, the starting point guard. And, uh, but I had a fellow that I spent the better part of four years with named John, who I played basketball with all the time. Remember, there were times where I would talk to my, my buddy John and I would say, John, you need to get saved. Now, I'd like to say that I witnessed to all of my buddies religiously, faithfully as a teenager, but I was probably a lot like many other teenagers. I, I was busy. I had other priorities. But I do remember asking John to be saved. Well, the Lord redirected in our lives and we, we came back to the States. And it was about a year later, I got a phone call from a classmate they said, Chapel, I, I just wanted to call you and let you know that um, we found out that John was killed in a car accident this summer. Just wanted you to know, because I know he was your friend. Well, I began to weep, and I, I thought, of the many times I talked to him, the best I knew, he almost got saved. but almost saved is entirely lost. Likelihood is that he stepped from this life into the lake of fire. He almost got saved. He just wasn't ready yet, he said. Folks, listen. Almost saved is entirely lost. Don't put off what God is convincing you of today. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. The Lord wants to move you from darkness into light. From the power of Satan under the power of God. To receive the forgiveness of sins not earn it, but receive it at the hand of God and an inheritance among all those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Listen, my friends. Come out of the darkness and into the light. You cannot be in darkness and light at the same time any more than you can be almost saved. Agrippa said, almost I'm almost convinced, almost saved, is entirely lost. Don't leave here almost persuaded. Be fully persuaded today. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the Word of God and how that it brings conviction to our hearts. Thank You, Lord, for these dear ones who have listened so carefully our heads are bowed for just a moment and no one is looking about in this holy moment. 
There are several in the service this morning that I do not know well. I don't know where you are spiritually, but you do and God does. Perhaps as you're seated there, you're not absolutely sure that if you died right now that you would spend forever in heaven with God. You're concerned about it. If that's you today, I don't want to embarrass you at all. I would never do that. But I'd sure like to have the joy of remembering you in a moment of prayer. And so if that's you today and you would simply say with the uplifted hand, Pastor, I'm not sure that if I died right now I'd go to heaven, but I'm concerned about it. And I don't want you to embarrass me, but I'd sure appreciate it if you'd pray for me. If that's you today, I wonder just right now if you just slip your hand up where you are, just put it up and write back down. I'll see your hand and pray for you. Is there one like that? Just slip it up and write back down then perhaps there are those that would say, I know that I'm on my way to heaven. But I have some folks that have been putting me off. They said, I'm not ready yet. I'm almost there, just not yet. And God's nudging you by His Spirit to arrange a Damascus Road confrontation. To let the light of the Gospel shine into them, confront them with the truth. And God's bringing somebody to mind that's been putting it off, that you love and know. And God is saying, I want you to tell them. There's one here like that today, and God's bringing that to your mind. You'd say, Pastor, pray for me that I would tell that one that God's reminding me of right now. Pray for me. Here's my hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Number of hands this morning. May we be His witnesses. May we be His servants in giving the gospel life. Father God, how we thank Thee for the joy of knowing that our sins are forgiven and that our eternity is secure in heaven with Thee. Lord, for those that perhaps do not know that yet, Lord, might they be not just almost persuaded, but fully satisfied that you represent the only hope that they have. May they cleave to the only one that can save them today, we pray. In the lovely name of Jesus, amen. Right now, I just want to say a word to those that may be watching on the internet. If it's your desire to know that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home, I want to invite you to email us or call us. We want to talk to you. We want to share with you from the Bible how that you can know for certainty that you're on your way to heaven. We want to also open the Bible and answer whatever questions you may have. Just go to freewaybaptist.org, send us an email, or give us a call. It would be our pleasure to open the Word of God to you. We'd like to send you a Bible and some information about what it means to have your sins forgiven and eternity secure in heaven with God. Be our joy, be a help to you.